So if we go back to the early days of Judaism, when right after Moses died, the people first entered the Promised Land, led by Joshua, they were going to conquer the Promised Land. The first city they came to conquer was the city of Jericho. Now the book of Joshua tells us how the city of Jericho was very heavily fortified. It had a very big, strong wall around it. And so Hashem told Joshua that he should tell the people that they should march around the city of Jericho, led by the Kohanim, the priests, who will have chauffeurs in their hands. And the, the Kohanim should blow the chauffeurs as they're marching around the city and they should march around the city one time and then the next day again and then the next day again for six days every day they're going to march around the city of Jericho and then on the seventh day Hashem told Yoshua to tell the people to now march around the city seven times on the seventh day and they march around the city of Jericho seven times on the seventh day and, uh, and each time the Kohanim blew the trumpets and after they finished marching around the seventh time, the walls of the city crumbled to the ground and they were able to march into the city and conquer the city. Later, the Jewish people built the temple and when they built the temple, they established a custom for everyone to march around the altar in the temple every day of Sukkot. So every day they would take a um, lulav and etrog and everyone would march around the altar in the temple and they would recite the verse from Tehillim from Psalms Ana Hashem Hoshiana please God please save us and they would march around reciting this verse or according to another tradition <laughs> they would say Ani Vahu Hoshiana Ani Vahu are two names of God Hoshiana please save us and then we're told that on Hoshana Rabbah, on the seventh day of Sukkot, they would bring two big willow branches from trees, and they would lean the, the branches on the altar, and then on the sides of the altar. And then all the people would march around with their lulav and esrog. They would march seven times around the altar on the seventh day of Sukkot on Hoshana Rabbah. So that was done in the temple every year. Following the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, our sages instituted that to commemorate the way they would march around the altar in the temple, they, that we should march around the bima in our synagogue. In every synagogue, there is a bima, there is a uh, table that is used in the center of the synagogue that is used for the Torah reading. And so we march around the bima in the center of, of the synagogue. Every day of Sukkot, except for Shabbos, we take our lulav and etrog and we march around the bima. As we do, we recite a poem. Um, there were over, throughout, over history various customs of different poems that were recited, but the poem that is recited today by all Jewish communities was was composed by Eliezer HaKalir. Eliezer HaKalir is the most prominent Jewish poet of, in Jewish history. Maybe one day we'll do a class on Eliezer HaKalir. Um, he was the most prom prominent poet in Jewish history. He lived in the 8th century, in the 700s. 
um, in the land of Israel. And most of our poems, or many of our poems, especially the classics, come from him. And so the poem that we recite as we march around the bima is from Eliezer HaKalir. So we recite a poem from him where we recite the same words, Ana, it's around, built around the words, Ana Hashem Hoshiana, please Hashem, save us. And in this poem, every word, every line starts with the word, Hoshina, please save, and ends with the word, Hoshina, please save. And therefore it's referred to as Hoshainot, so Hoshainot, please save. Then on Hoshana Rabbah, on the seventh day of Sukkot, we take our Lulav and Esrog and we march around the Bima seven times as they marched around the altar in the temple, each time reciting a part of this poem, recite seven poems, again, all um, with each line starting and ending with the word Hoshaina, please save. Um, these poems written by Eliezer HaKalir. And uh, so we, we march around the Bima seven times today, um, reciting this poem as we march around, asking God for salvation. Is that why we, when you get married, you walk around, yeah? Very good, I'm going to get to that. In the Gaonic period, the Gaonic period is um, a period from about during the Arab rule of... Um, uh, the, during the Arab rule from about the year 600 to about 1000. During that period, a custom began that they would end the Torah cycle every year on Simchat Torah and celebrate the completion of the Torah cycle that we do today. As part of that celebration, a, the custom developed that we would march around the Bima seven times, similar to the way we do on Hoshana Rabbah, but this time, instead of holding the lulav and etrog, as we do on Sukkot, we march around the bima holding the Torah scrolls. And as we march around the bima, we recite a poem, also asking for God's salvation, also revolving on the words, Ana Hashem Hoshiana, please Hashem, please save us. So asking God for salvation. In Ashkenazi communities, the custom is, before marching around the bima, we recite a number of verses about the greatness of the Torah, about the greatness of God, um, about the greatness of God's people. And so those are no, those start with the words, Atta hareta ladat, you have shown to know, which is a verse from Deuteronomy, from the portion of Va'et Hanan. And so it is considered a great honor to lead the recitation of the verses. And in many synagogues, they actually sell this honor, and they sell the honor to recite each verse to different members of the community as a way of raising money for the community. And not only that, in many communities, it's considered a great honor to hold the Torah as you're marching around the Bimon Simchat Torah. And so in many communities, they sell the honor to march around the Torah as a way to raise money for the community. Then in the last couple hundred years, the custom developed that after marching around the bima with the Torah, we then begin to dance. And we dance around the bima with the Torahs, singing songs with words to our scripture, to the Tanakh, or Hebrew poems, or wordless Jewish songs, and we have many Jewish songs. And Simchat Torah HaKafot, the dancing on Simchat Torah, 
has become the most festive and happy time in the Jewish calendar. So when exactly do we do these hakafot? So many communities begin the hakafot on Shmini Atzeret, which is tonight. So they do one round of hakafot, they march around the bima seven times with the Torah scrolls, and then dance with them tonight, the first night of Shmini Atzeret. And then they do it again the second night, uh, this night that we call Simchat Torah. Usually the second night Simchat Torah is much more joyous. The first night is kind of a warm-up. The second night is really the primary night. Now, the holy Arizal of Yitzchak Luria, who is the great, was the great master of Kabbalah, lived in the 16th century, and many of our modern um, traditions and customs um, can be traced back to him. So the holy Arizal lived in Safad, and in the land of Israel, they only keep one day of Yom Tov. Outside of Israel, we have two days of Yom Tov, so we do a warm-up and kind of lighter dancing the first night, and then the primary celebration is the second night. But in the land of Israel, there's only one night of Yom Tov. So they celebrate Simchat Torah on the only night there is. But then the Ariza would then celebrate after the holiday ends, the following night, which outside of Israel would be the second night, but in Israel, Yom Tov is already finished, it's just a regular day, but the Ariza would celebrate. So there is therefore a custom in the land of Israel that they do what's called Hakafot Shniot, a second Hakafot following the Simchat Torah on the second night when the holiday is already finished. Now, because Shemini Yatzeret and Simchat Torah is on a Yom Tov, on a holiday, Jewish law forbids us to play any musical instruments on Shabbat or festivals. So therefore, we do not, even though Simchat Torah is the most celebratory day in the Jewish calendar, and a day that we dance and sing, we do it all without any musical accompaniment. Because we're not allowed to play music on the holiday. Also today, now that we have, um, we have amplifiers and microphones, um, Jewish law forbids us from using electricity on Yom Tov, on the holiday, and therefore we do not um, use any amplifiers or microphones in our singing and dancing on Simchat Torah. However, in the land of Israel, where there is only one day Yom Tov, the second Hakafot are after the holiday. So there in the land of Israel, when they do the second Hakafot, historically they did use music because the holiday is already finished. So they would have bands that would play music and they would sing to music. Today, um, in the land of Israel, the second Hakafot has become a very, very great celebration. Just about every city and every town in the land of Israel, the municipality, puts on what they call Hakafot Shniot, puts on these great celebrations, usually in a, the square at the center of town, or in a great, in a park, um, with bands and musicians and singers, and they have these great, and to, with the, of course with the Torahs, all the synagogues come, and they put on these great celebrations all across the land of Israel um, with music. Outside of Israel, God willing, we will soon be in the land of Israel with the coming of Mashiach, we will get to do that as well. Outside the land of Israel, we still celebrate Simchat Torah without any music at all. But we still sing and dance and we yeah. still celebrate. So now the prime... Yes? So a regular guitar... 
No, we don't use any musical instruments on Shabbos and Yom Tov. It's a. Our sages prohibited it more than 3,000 years ago. In the te- no, in the temple itself, they did use music on the holiday because in the on Shabbos, because in the temple the laws of Shabbos were suspended. They offered sacrifices. They did many other things. They lit fires, but outside of the temple, our sages banned use playing musical instruments on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Why is a subject of its own? Maybe we could do a class on that one. You could bang, you could clap and bang your hands, but we don't use any instruments. You could use your hands. That's fine. Today we have a cappella where you can use your. Um, you, we have a whole choir that we have on Rosh Hashanah, and the reason why we have this choir, this a cappella choir, is they're able to make it sound beautiful just using their voices without. We don't use musical. If it's designated as a musical instrument, we don't use it on Shabbos and Yom. Well, that's for a class for another time. Yeah, I just wanted to ask about, was there a reason why the Ari celebrated the night after the holiday that he gave? I don't know. I don't know. Good question. I don't know. So now the primary hakafot, the primary circling of the bima, was done generally at night. Shemini Atzeret night, Simchat Torah night. But we also have a custom to do hakafot by the day as well. The Ashkenazim have a custom to do the hakafot during the services after we do the morning service and then before we read the Torah to complete the Torah reading and start again we first dance around the bima. The Sephardic custom is to first read the Torah and then after the reading of the Torah they dance around. And the custom in almost all Jewish communities is before we begin the dancing for the Ashkenazim before the Torah reading and the Sephardim after to take a break from the prayers to do the do the Kiddush and um, have a little lunch and some Lachayim before we begin the dancing to give us a little energy to dance. So there is an and then we continue the Hakafot um, and um, the then after the Ashkenazim do the Torah reading afterwards. Now interestingly there is an Eastern European custom that while on Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah, we, in the evenings, we dance around, we march around the Bima seven times, similar to what we do on the seventh day of Sukkot. On the morning of Simchat Torah, we march around the Bima three and a half times. We only march, and after three and a half times, we stop. What is the reason for this custom? So the reason for this custom is an event that happened over 600 years ago. In the 14th century, that's the 1300s, early 1300s, the king of Poland was called King Casimir. King Casimir was one of the great kings of Poland, Casimir III. He had, he was, he, he built Poland to this great empire that controlled much of Eastern Europe. He had a Jewish mistress whose name was Esterke. Same name, like Esther, just a Yiddishized Esther, just like the Esther of old, the Queen Esther. And this Esterke, who was a mistress of this King Kasmir, also was a brilliant woman, very charismatic, and also served as his advisor. 
and Ge had a lot of influence over him. And because of her influence, he invited the Jews of Germany. Most Jews in the 14th century, most European Jews, lived in Spain and Germany at the time. So those of us, those of you that were at our class that we did on how Jewish communities developed, we spoke about how the Jews moved. So during, under the reign of King Casimir, he, and that, he lived during the Black Death in the, 11, in the 1340s. And during the Black Death, um, there were riots all across Germany because Jews were blamed for, the, for poisoning the wells. And so Jewish communities were being wiped out. King Casimir, on the advice of Esterka, invited Jews from Germany to move to Poland. And most Jews of Germany, most of the Jewish community in Germany, as a result, moved to Poland during his reign in the 14th century. Um, probably hundreds of thousands of Jews. By the end of his reign, there are hundreds of thousands of Jews in Poland. Many of the Jews, they settled all across Poland, which at the time was very large and covered much of Ukraine today and much of Eastern Europe. But the largest Jewish community settled in Krakow. Krakow was the capital of Poland at the time. Now, many of the Catholics, although the king protected the Jews, however, many of the Catholics did not like the Jews because the Catholic Church was extremely anti-Semitic at the time. Krakow was the capital of Poland, but also the center of the Catholic Church. Um, there was the Archbishop of Krakow was essentially the leader of the Catholic Church in Poland. And there was also a very large Catholic seminary in Krakow at the time. Now, Esterka, especially because of her, she was Jewish and her influence on the king, she was especially hated. One year on Simchat Torah, Esterka went, she was apparently, even though she had her relationship with the king, she still kept Jewish laws. And one year, Simchat Torah, she went to the synagogue. And a rumor spread in the seminary, the Catholic seminary in Krakow, that Esterka was in the synagogue and therefore not in her palace. She had her own palace, but she wasn't. And the remnants of the palace are still there today. There's a museum there, I think. But, the, um, but she was in the synagogue. And so hundreds of um, seminary students gathered um, at the synagogue where there were thousands of Jews inside, thousands of students gathered outside, um, all armed and greatly outnumbered the, her own soldiers that were protecting her. And they burst into the synagogue on Simchat Torah and they started killing Jews. And dozens of Jews were killed then in the middle of the Hakafot, the middle of the celebration. Dozens of Jews were killed until finally they were able to restore order and throw the invaders out of the synagogue. And the, this invasion and this uh, pogrom happened while they were in the middle of the fourth hakafa. They're in the middle of circling the fourth time. And as a result, the community in Krakow decided that on Simchat Torah day, they would only circle the bima three and a half times to commemorate the pogrom and the deaths of these Jews um, who were killed on Simchat Torah. And as a result, um, in, in this custom spread throughout Poland and Eastern Europe, and Eastern European Jews only circled the bima three and a half times on um, on the day of Simchat Torah to commemorate this event.
Now, why do we march around in circles? Why do we go around in circles? So Hasidic teachings explain that there are two ways God connects with his creation. God connects with us in a linear way and in a circular way. The linear sense meaning there's a line, like there's a beginning of the line, there's an end of the line. The linear way is when God does something with a purpose, with a mission, with a goal. Each stage along the line has a different value depending on its place online. It is closer to its goal. It is further to, from its goal, closer to its beginning, further from the beginning. It is a line. And then there is another way God connects to the world, and that is in a circular way. In a circular relationship, everything is equal. Think of a circle. There's no beginning, no end. There is no purpose. It's not going anywhere. You just keep, and go, keep going round and round and round. Wherever you are on the circle, everyone on the circle is equal. Because there's no beginning and no end. None being ahead of the other. Our, we relate to God in both ways. We have a linear relationship with God and a circular relationship with God. Our linear, our regular relationship that we have with God is linear. God created us for a purpose. He has certain expectations of us. When we fulfill that purpose, we come closer to Him. When we don't fulfill that purpose, or we go against His instructions, we move further away from Him. This is all a linear system. However, there is also another connection. God Himself is circular. God Himself is beyond any line or order. God Himself is infinite, so God is beyond any purpose. When we connect with God on the highest level, we connect with God in a circular sense. In such a way there is no beginning and no end, no purpose, no goals, no results. There's no better, no worse. Everyone and everything is equal when we connect to God in a circular way. That is why in Judaism the most powerful moments are circular. When we get married, we have a custom that the bride circles the groom seven times. Circular. Why the circle? To mark this circular relationship with God. The same is also when someone dies. The first meal that the mourners do, called the Havara meal, that we have is a meal of bagels and hard-boiled eggs. Why do we have bagels and hard-boiled eggs? Because they're round, and it reminds us of our circular relationship with God. When the people of Israel began capturing the land, God told them to begin the capture of the land by circling Jericho. Why? To mark that circular relationship that we have with Hashem. So on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year, it is a day that we turn to God and ask Him for forgiveness. We say, despite what we may have done, despite our actions, ignore all our negative things we may have done or all our failures. Overlook them. Forgive us for them. Just connect with us beyond anything that we may have done. And so we are connecting to God on the deepest level. We're saying, God, on the deepest level, we're all one and the same. doesn't matter what we did. That is connecting to our circular relationship with God. So therefore, Sukkot, which is a 
continuation and a follow-up of Yom Kippur is a circular time, a time to connect with our circular relationship with God. And that is why on Sukkot we march around the Bima in circles. And that is why also Simchat Torah, we march around in circles and dance in circles, invoke, invoking our circular relationship with God. Beyond actions, beyond purpose, doesn't matter what you do or who you are or what you've done, we're all one and the same. You're not going anywhere, you're not heading anywhere, you're not coming from anywhere. You're just going in circles. Everything is one and the same. We are all united. We are all one. And that is why on Simchat Torah, although we read the Torah, we don't only read the Torah, we march with a closed Torah. We hold the Torah and we march with it. Why are we holding the Torah and marching with it, dancing with a closed Torah? It reminds us that our connection with God is not just about what we study or what we follow from the Torah, but our connection is with the Torah itself, with God Himself. It's a circular connection beyond any action and beyond any purpose. And yet, we also then, after dancing with the Torah, we open the Torah and we read it. And in fact, even, even as we do march around the Bima, we march around the place, the Bima, which is what we always use to read the Torah. Because even when we connect with God in a circular way, in a way where there's no purpose, no goal, we're all one and the same. It doesn't matter what you've done, we're still connected. We still remember we also have a linear relationship with God. The circular relationship is deep down. But every day we live by our linear relationship with God. We remember that God does have a goal for us and does have a purpose for us and does have instructions for us and we are supposed to follow those instructions. We have two sides. On the one hand, we are one and united with God in a circular sense. doesn't matter what we do. We're always His children. And then on the other hand, He has instructions and He has a purpose for us and He has a goal and He has a vision and He has, we have things that we're supposed to be doing. So after Simchat Torah, we're supposed to take that inspiration and then work on it and bring it down into our daily lives and study the Torah. Interestingly, Simchat Torah has been a time that people who often don't come at all to shul all year round come to shul on Simchat Torah. And the simple reason for that is that it is the most fun day of the year to come to shul. In fact, I don't know why we get a bigger crowd for some reason on Yom Kippur more than Simchat Torah. So a lot of Jews only come to shul on Yom Kippur. It is the only day that there's no food in shul. It's the only day there's no food. And then they come to Shul on Yom Kippur and they don't show up till the next Yom Kippur. And they think that's all we do. We just stand and pray and fast and that's it. Right? Uh, but if they would come on Simchat Torah, they would see a whole different thing. Right? I don't know why some people only come Yom Kippur. But there are many Jews that come Simchat Torah as well. So that's the simple reason why people come to Shul Simchat Torah is because it's the most fun day to come to Shul. But the Rebbe once explained there's a deeper reason why Jews are drawn to come on Simchat Torah. Because since on Simchat Torah is a day that we emphasize our connection to Hashem and the Torah. 
that is deeper than ourselves and deeper than our actions and deeper than anything that we may have done. We connect to this deep unity when we're all one and the same. And every Jew, no matter who they are, no matter where they've gone, no matter what they've done, has this unique relationship with God. And so we, every Jew has a relationship with God and the Torah that we connect to it on Simcha Torah. So Simcha Torah is there for a day that every single Jew belongs to Shul, belongs in Shul. And therefore I will conclude by encouraging you firstly to come yourselves to Shul. Come tonight, we're having a dinner. Come tomorrow night and celebrate. Come on Tuesday. Of course, tomorrow we're going to do Yisker. Come on Tuesday when we have our when we conclude the Torah, but don't only come yourselves, invite your friends, tell them all if they can, Yom Kippur, that was, well, it's the right day to come, Yom Kippur is also good to come, but not only Yom Kippur, you got to come to Simchas Torah to see the other side of Judaism, see the joyous and the celebratory side of Judaism, so invite them to come as well, we'd love to see everyone, and I wish you all a happy Shmini Atzeret, Simchat Torah, Sukkot, and thank you for joining, and we'll see you all, God willing, next week.